Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall is a lecture series that takes place in a bar, uh, usually in Toronto, but sometimes in other cities. Uh, people give lectures on all kinds of subjects. They can be serious, they can be ridiculous, but there is one rule. Unlike most lecture series, the speakers cannot be professionally expert in the topic on which they are lecturing. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience, and then we put it all together into a podcast for you. Um, if you've got questions about Trampoline Hall, about the show, we would love to hear them. You can reach us uh, by Facebook or Twitter or find us on the web. This one comes in from Ben Stevenson via Twitter, and he asks, How have Misha's feelings toward his introduction uh, evolved or not evolved after giving it so many times? Um, so once again, if you're just um, following the podcast now, at, at the live show at Trampoline Hall, I give a very long introduction, like a 10-minute introduction. It's kind of more or less the same at every show. And... and, and um, uh, I guess it evolved over time early on, and early on it evolved for real reasons, which was to try and make the show better by um, getting people to ask good questions uh, during the Q&A. Um, but, but, but over time, increasingly, uh, what people do in Q&As hasn't really changed that much. Uh, so the introduction has remained uh, pretty much uh, the same. It's remained pretty similar. Um, and I guess there's a couple of ways in which it's changed. One is, I think, in the for the first couple of years, a lot of my demeanor on stage is that I appear very nervous. And and for the first couple of years, it's because I was very nervous. I was just very frightened. And I thought, well, the whole show seemed to be about being scared. And so it seemed like a good idea to um, uh, not conceal that fact in myself and, and let let my fear be part of the show, just like the lecture's fear was, was part of the show. Over time, I suppose I can admit I've gotten less frightened. I mean, having done the thing for many, many years, I'm, I, I sort of feel like I know the range of possible things that could happen. And even if there were a a terrible show, I'd be like, well, you know, we've already had 12 years of good shows or whatever. Um, so partly I'm, I'm not as scared as I used to be. But it, but in a way, also, as I've become less scared, in some ways it also becomes scarier because increasingly I'm doing something which no one really wants to do, which is I'm, I'm giving a 10-minute talk, which is full of jokes. And I'm making those jokes to people who have, in many cases, heard those jokes like a dozen times before. And I think if you ask any performer, like, is... Is that something you want to do? I think any performer would say, no, that sounds like a terrible thing to do. But somehow the show has evolved in such a way that I put myself through this ordeal of having to do this terrible thing of trying to entertain people by telling them the same jokes they've heard many, many times before, um, month after month after month. I don't I don't know what 
purpose this serves in the show. But it, it does seem sort of notable that the show starts off with me doing this sort of slightly uncomfortable and difficult thing. Uh, so there you go, Ben. I hope that answers your question. On a related note, um, in terms of that introduction, um, Anthea Foye also asked about the intro, about the show intro, and she wanted to know if we could hear more of it in the podcast. I think we will be putting that up soon as a special episode, probably in the next few weeks, I think. All right, well, that's enough of that. That takes us to our lecture. Uh, the lecture is entitled Laughing in Public, and the lecturer is Aliyah Pabani. In my second year of university, uh, I got really into this show, Six Feet Under, which if, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a family who runs a funeral home. And I decided that I actually wanted to get into funeral studies as well, but I wanted to provide these like alternative corporate funeral retreat hybrids where people could go and do team building events to build morale about um, death. Um, so I remember I was in the car with my dad when I told him about my idea. And he was mostly nonplussed, um, but cautiously interested the way that he usually is when I tell him about new career ideas. Um, so then I asked him, um, do you mind if I do your funeral? And he said, sure, yeah, you could do that. But uh, I want to be cremated. And so I said, yeah, we could do that. Um, but you know, like, where would you like me to scatter your ashes? And then he got really serious. And he looked me in the face and said, Aliyah, I want you to go to the park and I want you to throw my ashes on white people. <laughs> so, 10 years later, and this remains one of the fun not only one of the funniest things I've ever heard him say, but one of the few exchanges with him that I can actually remember in any detail. Um, I responded with the kind of laughter that you can't stop doing even though it like physically hurts you. Um, <laughs> so for this talk, I decided to figure out what exactly this makes, what makes this so funny to me, which is risky because it's in my top five casual party anecdotes. And if you've ever tried to explain a joke, you realize how quickly it could die. But so I thought about it and I realized so there's this element of it which is there is an unexpected turn. So a dad tries to make small talk with his daughter and ends up revealing a dying wish that is oxidized corpse be thrown onto white people. Um, but then there's another kind of less obvious um, aspect to it or contour, which is um, that my dad's experience um, of being in this country has largely been shaped by being an outsider. And that gives rise to a kind of urgent laugh it has like an, there's an empathy element, but there's a kind of um, urgency about it. And um, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's uncomfortable, which makes it even more funny. It's like the feeling of being tickled. So in our culture, we have a lot of common words to refer to this kind of um, inappropriate laughter. Um, when we, laugh at things that are morbid, um, we call it black humor. When we laugh at things out of something other than pure amusement, we call it nervous laughter. But I wondered why it is exactly that laughter is the expression that comes out in those moments. Um, so I did a bit of research, 
And I do like scare quotes because basically I just went on Wikipedia and like if there weren't problems with the article, I used it. Um, and I found that there were lots of theories of laughter that talk about um, laughter as a means of getting relief um, from some kind of tension. So that tension is actually a kind of necessary element for laughter to occur, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, this is, I think, why it's so hard not to laugh when you're being attacked by a small child. So, like, there's the element... <laughs> so your, your brain understands that you're under attack, but there's also the added tension of knowing that it's socially unacceptable to hit a child. So... So the areas of our brain that are actually responsible for laughter lie deep in the subcortex of the brain, which is a kind of evolutionary ancient part of the brain that's responsible for reflexes and things like breathing. Um, so what that means is it's far away from the parts of the brain that are kind of more mature uh, evolutionary behaviors um, like language and memory. So this might be one of the reasons why it's so hard to stop laughing at something even though you know it's inappropriate. So about two months ago, I was actually sitting in this very audience listening to a talk by a lecturer called The Lost Art of Making Fun of People. Um, and in it, he spoke about, um, he made some provocative statements, including suggesting that everybody should be made fun of equally regardless of their identity and that contemporary PC culture was, had no sense of humor and took offense too easily. And he made some interesting points, including, and I paraphrase here, <laughs> I paraphrase, um, my kids are brown, my wife is brown, I'm from an island, I'm basically brown too. And he was a white guy. <laughs> and while most of the audience laughed, I kind of sat on the side over there trying to figure out what to do with my face because he had basically set up a situation in which you could either laugh or you could take offense and be thus responsible for ruining humor for everybody. Um, the thing is, is I don't think that people respond immediately with offense. I think that there's something that happens before that on a kind of more gut feeling um, reaction, the level of reaction. So I think there's a kind of like social sorting that occurs at the moment of public laughter where some people have the distance or a vantage point on the subject matter enough to be able to laugh at it and other people don't. So there's this other theory of humor called um, the benign violation theory. And in it, um, basically, the theory states that two conditions need to be simultaneously occurring in order for laughter to occur. So the first condition is that there needs to be a perceived threat that alters the individual's um, understanding of the way the world ought to be. And the second condition is that the person must perceive that threat to be benign. So it's the tension between these two things that causes something to be funny. If the threat isn't perceived to be benign, then the subject just sits in that first condition where it's actually just a threat. So we like to think of laughter as something that is a reaction to something that's funny. But actually, as my research states, 
that's not actually the case. <laughs> Um, there was a study done where they recorded hours and hours of conversation at, um, in classrooms and cocktail parties. And they found that most people laughed after normal to moderately funny statements like, Look, it's Andre. <laughs> um, <laughs> just wait for you guys to calm down after that. <laughs> um, are you sure? <laughs> and you don't have to drink, just buy us drinks, which is like a pickup line from the 70s, I guess. I don't know. Um, so since I've started researching this topic, I've actually begun paying more attention to the instances where I laugh in public, which is uh, a lot. Um, and like I've actually laughed at things as banal as like, I'm really busy marketing, marking exams this holiday. So, the neuroscientist uh, V.S. Ramachandran theorizes that laughter evolved as a signal to ourselves and others that what might appear threatening actually isn't. He writes, the sound of laughter evolved to inform our kin who share our genes that it's a false alarm. So in this light, nervous laughter can be seen as a warning to ourselves that the terrible things we've encountered isn't really as bad as it seems, which allows us to create some di distance between ourselves and the perceived threat. So a couple of years ago, I went to go see the movie 12 Years a Slave in theaters. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, this might contain a small spoiler. So if you'd like to go into the other room, please do that now. Okay, so there's a scene in the movie where um, this sadistic slave owner forces um, the protagonist of the film, who is a free man from the North, um, who was captured or kidnapped and sold to slavery in the South, to whip another enslaved woman who um, has been raped and abused by the uh, slave owner. And so to say this scene is uncomfortable but would be like a gross understatement. I ended up um, involuntarily sobbing during that scene, which is not common for me because usually I'm able to preempt crying at the movies by noticing the construction of the scene. So I'll be like, oh, that music is really sappy or look at that slow pan that seems so intentional and manipulative. Um, but what makes this, this situation even more odd was that while I was sobbing in my seat, there were people in the audience who were audibly laughing. Um, and so I understand that that laughter was, not, was likely not about amusement, but of a feeling of discomfort um, that people needed to get some relief from. Um, but in that audience that was kind of sparsely populated with mostly white people, I felt really exposed. So one criticism I've heard leveled against the movie 12 Years a Slave is that the portrayal of the South as this kind of like bad next door neighbor allows for the northern states to be seen as a kind of socially progressive haven for the mostly white liberal audience that would go to see the film. Um, and this kind of obscures the ways in which the North was actually benefiting from slavery at the time through the exchange of raw materials from the mostly agrarian South. 
Similarly, if you've seen the film, the jarring presence of um, producer Brad Pitt as <laughs> the hot savior Canadian carpenter um, who saves the protagonist might be seen to obscure the ways in which uh, slavery existed for a couple of centuries um, in Canada as well, in New France and in Lower Canada under British rule. So I'm going to argue that the uncomfortable laughter is a similar, there's a similar kind of obscuring happening in that moment. I think my theory about that laughter is that it allowed people to kind of distance the perceived threat in order to kind of obfuscate the ways in which the history being portrayed is, um, is being enacted in the present. So I feel like I should say at this point that I don't hate laughing. Um, I'm the kind of person who has had to leave parties early because my face hurt too much from laughing and I couldn't socialize anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it, like it's basically a really cheap form of therapy and I use it a lot. There's even a form of therapy called laughter yoga, which was populated or po uh, made popular in the mid 90s in India by a doctor. And for those of you who haven't heard about laughter yoga, it basically involves people standing in a circle and stimulating real laughter by making eye contact and fake laughing with each other. Um, and a handful of studies have shown that it has actual tangible health benefits like better cardio health and improved mood. And apparently that laughter produces an endorphin-mediated opiate effect, which even though I don't know exactly what that means, it sounds like something I want. Um, so the thing is, is, is a, laughter is a social behavior with implications beyond our individual well-being. There might be other con considerations at play. Uh, the Prophet Muhammad once said, do not laugh too much for verily excessive laughter kills the heart. And in his commentary on the Prophet's statement, Ustad Faraz A. Khan writes that excessive laughter can distract a person from reflecting on matters of significance, like, quote, wars, disease, famine, crime, economic crises, the waning of the planet's resources, corporate hegemony, moral degradation, the looming catastrophe of global warming, and overall environmental damage, end quote. Um, that's, that's real. I didn't make that up. Um, so I'm not advocating that we somehow replace laughter with deep and serious thought about all the things that are fucked up about the world, but I do think it's important to reflect on, the, on, the, on why we laugh in particular instances. So if we laugh for relief, then what or sometimes whom are we seeking relief from? Thank you. Aliyah Pabani, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. Are there any questions? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, yes, you may. Do you remember any of the things that made you laugh so much at the party? What were the things that made you laugh so much that your face hurt at a party? Um, I have a theory about it that I didn't include in the talk because it made me sound disingenuous, but I think that... Um, I'm very generous with laughter, like I can fake laugh really well. And I actually have a trick where, so to relieve the tension in my face when I've laughed, fake laughed too much, I have this trick where like, if someone says something to you and you can't physically laugh anymore, you just kind of throw your head back. And then when you come back, you're kind of smiling. I didn't do it that well, but you can imagine like when I'm in full party mode that it really works. So yeah, I think it's mostly like when I fake laugh too much because I think that maybe I overdo it a little, like I ham it up. So wait, are you saying that that's what causes you to laugh? Like what causes you to hurt your hurt isn't the real laughter, but it's the like, it's the, the remedy that exacerbates the problem? Is that? That's my theory, but I feel like those two things are so intertwined, like I don't know what's real anymore. Whoa. You know? Whoa, all right. I'm so fake. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have any other questions now that you know old, old Faco is on stage, <laughs> you, want some, you want some insincere answers, just fire away. Uh, yes, yes, over there. Thank you. Are you taking funeral team building bookings? Are you taking bookings for funeral team building? I freelance, so I'm always open to... Yeah, I actually did it as a job at a resort for a while, so I have some, like, handouts. Wait, <laughs> wait! you did funeral team building at a resort? No, I did. I had a job at a resort where we did corporate team building okay. and I was like, oh, this would be great for a funeral. So if you just added, you would just like search and replace and just put in funeral. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> just, just like kind of change it. Be like, oh, be aware that people are grieving, like maybe no leapfrog or something. <laughs> it's the idea that would it be for, would it be bringing the corporate team building stuff to the funeral or would it be bringing the funereal element to corporate team building? <laughs> I think more corporate, like, I would say 79% corporate team building and, like, whatever's left funeral. So 21. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, so you'd be going to an existing funeral, and you'd be, like, then you'd be, like, giving name tags and having people, like, do something. I think it should be in the woods, probably. I, uh, okay. All right. Cool. My, we could it, drive hearses to, like, the wilderness. It is, my, it is my inclination to pursue this chain of inquiry for the rest of the Q&A, but I feel, <laughs> I feel that I am perhaps alone in that, so let's see what anyone else wants to know about. Are they there? Yes, yes, you, ma'am. Have you actually considered fulfilling your father's wish to throw his ashes onto white people? Have you considered fulfilling your father's wish to throw his ashes onto white people? First of all, is he still alive? He's alive, okay, yeah. Right. I invited him, but he's in a different country. So. <laughs> I thought he was, you invited him, and he was like, going to be any white people there? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. There are white people to be found at Trampoline Hall. Oh, yes, there are. I actually brought his urn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No one has ever lectured twice at Trampoline Hall, but I would make an exception. Just think about it. Just to, <laughs> you and your dad want to talk it Thank over. You. Um, but wait. So wait. So the question was what? Have, what was the question? Was have you considered it? Or are you going to do it? 
Would you seriously consider throwing his ashes on white people? No, because I think with any, like... I think about it in the same way that I think of humor is like, if it's not transformative in any way, what's the point? Like, Do you really believe that it would not be transformative? I mean, <laughs> do we mean physically or <laughs> symbolically? <laughs> you have a high bar for transformation. Uh, yeah, I don't think that I would actually seriously consider it and like a big part of me believes that he was just joking. Right. <laughs> he, was, he was just joking. All right, so there you go. So no. I get a power prize that answer is no. Uh, anything else? Anything else you would like to know? Yes, yes, you ma'am. How do you know when to fake laugh? How do you know when to fake laugh? Do you mean as opposed to real laugh or when to not laugh? Uh, as opposed to not laugh. As opposed to not laugh. Okay, thank you. I don't know if I've ever experienced the not laugh condition. <laughs> uh, so you're the person who is like, they're like, hey, it's Andre, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because totally. it's like Andrew but French. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're like, yeah. <laughs> We're looking for Young Street. Oh. Yeah. Um, I I think that when I don't when I choose not to laugh, it's because of what I said, where like something actually just really hurts in a deep way. Um, I'm happy to give away laughs for people so that they feel good. I don't give a shit really, because um, I've got that. Um, then I just sleep when I get home. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> But yeah, like it's it's mostly just yeah in situations where it, it just it's not a conscious decision. Like I said, it's just like it just feels too close to home, and you just can't. So there's times that you don't laugh. Yeah, the like times you... during that trampoline hall talk. For right. Instance. So so that was the time. So during that talk, you were like you were like this, not funny, not laughing, no real laughing, no fake laughing. You were like. Shh. Yeah, I mean, if I could conjure it, I I would. And that's the thing about the idea that it's a fence that's ruining humor. Um, I think for a lot of people, like, I didn't necessarily feel offended. Right. I felt uncomfortable. I was like, I'm on the ledge and people can see that I'm not participating in this and, like, I'm PC culture or whatever. Which right, right, right. I'm not. Right, which doubly... <laughs> <laughs> which nothing is PC culture. <laughs> right, which, like, doubly makes it, which doubly makes it, like... <laughs> smattering of applause <laughs> yeah. from the people who aren't PC culture in the front of the room. People don't like PC. The rest of the room would identify themselves as PC culture, so they were, they were hurt. <laughs> they were like, but how can we go about censoring the truth everywhere it's expressed? That's, um, so, 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 so in that, sorry, but in that example, so your, so your response, it's not even so much that you were trying not to laugh, is that you actually would have laughed if you could. Is that right? Yeah. Like, you're like, you're like, oh, let me see if I can fake laugh. Nope. Is it like yeah, that? Yeah, it's just like, feels just sad. I don't know. Like, Sadness. Sometimes you laugh at things that are sad, like conversations on this streetcar where people are, like, two men are, like, giving each other dating advice or something. That is funny. It is funny when there's two men on the streetcar. That trying to, yeah, that in itself is sad, I suppose. Men talking about their feelings in public. Pretty sad. No, it's great. I encourage it, but it's, it's funny. <laughs> What was that? Can I ask you more about the trampoline? I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about the trampoline hall lecture because I was, mm -hmm. I was, because it's an experience that we share, mm -hmm. but from a different, different perspective. But I was there, mm -hmm. and then I'm curious. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm just curious. By show of hands, how many people? How many people recall? We're, we're here. We're at that lecture. So a few people, not a ton. Okay, so 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 it's not like we all we all remember this, but I remember it. And you were and you were like, and so what was your experience? So that guy, that guy was on stage, and for those who were not for those who were not here, which is most of you, my my impression at the time was that it was awkward. <laughs> was that we all understood, like, oh, something awkward, something weird is going on here. Yeah. And at the same time, I think that what the audience was doing was doing that kind of weird 
like nervous laughter. Mm -hmm. Where I think the speaker might have been thought might have been thinking more like, oh, they're finding me really funny. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what the audience was thinking was like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, totally. I would agree. I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what I guess I want to know more about what you were thinking during that moment, if I can ask you, because it's, it's, it's helpful to me in my job. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, when will this be over? I don't know, like, I right. wasn't, like, it's just one of those situations that happen where, you know, you can't really even nervous laugh or something. Right. right. And so you're just kind of like, mm, yeah, what time is it? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fine to punch up, actually. I think a lot of humor, like, punching up is like, you know, if, if I made that joke like, about white people, right, like, it's funny because it's, it's a different power dynamic, you know? And if you're punching down, like, it's like an entirely different thing. It's yeah, like, no, and, it's a, real, and it's, a real, it's a real difference, right? But that guy saying, like, I'm yeah. basically brown and being like, well, there's something wrong with that. But then your dad being like, I would like my ashes thrown at white people. That's how much I hate them. And we're all like, oh, that's a good one, you know? And it, but it's interesting. But I think that, that, what, that what explains that if there is a difference is the punching up, punching down mm -hmm. thing. Is that right? Like, yeah. It wouldn't be funny if your dad was white and said, I would like my ashes thrown at black people. Yeah. That would no longer, we wouldn't, that exactly. would not be a funny joke. And, you know, it, it's fair that people might not find it funny. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's fair that people might be offended by that as well, but like I said, like I think it is really important to think about why we don't find something funny. Yeah, here, so here's a question. So Sometimes. one thing that I was thinking of in the trampoline hall that you were at where that was going on and that I think about more as you talk about it is one of the things that's tricky is that laughter is very audible and silence is not. Mm -hmm. so, if, so if half the people are kind of like chuckling, like maybe, maybe half the people are laughing, maybe of those half are chuckling in horrible discomfort and half of them are just like... Be like, it's true, blondes mm -hmm. are hilarious. But then the other half, the audience is kind of doing what you're doing of being like, this isn't funny. We don't hear that. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to know how that, how that gets expressed or right. whatever. Um, I guess that one of the things I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll stop asking about this particular instance, but I'm interested in what happens at Trampling Hall. So one of the things I'm in, that I'm interested in is to say to, to you guys, to say to this audience, only one thing I could do for this space is like, you should always feel free to say, like, I knew that people were upset after that show. And one of the things that made me feel weird as the host of Trampoline Hall is I like to imagine that what happens at Trampoline Hall is that people see things and sometimes things piss people off and then people say, hey, that thing pissed me off. And that's part of what I think is cool about Trampoline Hall. Mm -hmm. And part of what made me feel weird about that show was that I felt like people were pissed off but somehow no one said it mm -hmm. at the show. And it made me feel like uh, something wasn't working right. And I don't know. Well, I mean, I think the Q&A format is kind of by its nature imperfect. And, like, I can only Take speak... Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, slow down. Punch, punching up, that's hard. Um. <laughs> I'm down, Q&A hosts are... <laughs> that's all the time we have. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just think for me with Q and A's generally, I need a second to like formulate my yeah. thoughts. Um, like I can only speak for like why I didn't. I like I respect everybody's right not to say something in a public form because those dynamics are still at play in these spaces. If you've just yeah. watched everybody laugh at something you find really hurtful, you're not going to be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, unless Let me ruin everybody's good time. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. um, you're probably not that guy who's like, I'm going to respond with a comment or whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't know, maybe there could be, like, other things, like, if there was, like, a gong or something. That you could be like, 
like just walk <laughs> like I could have done that but um, or you could offer trampoline hall lectures to people who have like unresolved feelings well, that's a way that's that was in fact yeah, <laughs> yeah. so there we go so we're happy to give so you it's, yeah, right. okay, well, do you do you're, on this particular issue do your feelings feel reasonably resolved yeah I mean yeah, I got to complain about it to a new audience. So. <laughs> okay. Awesome, great. Uh, yes, question over there, yes. Okay, so I'm wondering, as a close friend, I've seen you do the throwback laugh at several of my jokes. You've seen that throwback laugh at your own jokes, yes. <laughs> How often is that genuine? Um, let me try and think of the ways in which you can tell. Hmm. Someone else wants to know. Wait, <laughs> okay, who else? Who else? Wait, that, 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 all that, my that, buds are here. Oh my great. God, look at, look at how many people thought they were your hilarious good friend. <laughs> and it turns out all, all you feel for them is a warm, abstract okay, sympathy. Okay, if I throw back and come back with like an open mouth smile, that's a fake one. But if I come back with like convulsive laughter, that's like normal me. That answer so. is obviously completely sincere and trustworthy like everything else about Aaliyah. All right. You're, you're in a real quandary now. How are you? How are, all right. So they, oh, yes, you, sir. Um, so in, in movies, when it feels like you're actually alone, they always laugh benignly. Um, now, after having seen this, I'm going to have like, a sympathetic reaction. So if there's a biological fear that means that, that, do you think that it could be like a, that's the cry for help? So wait, is a cartoon villain's laugh actually a cry for help? Is that your question? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I read somewhere, and I this is again my research, but um, that like, la like l prolonged laughter in inappropriate scenarios, maybe be, like evidence of your um, of like some problem you have with like empathizing or engaging with the scenario. So, you know, the villain is also can be like I don't really believe in the idea of like an evil villain. I think it's often yeah just someone with certain social conditions who is an outsider and thus driven to that role. To maniacal. So yeah, yeah. So yes. So I think you should feel bad. For yes, feel sorry for, for the laughter them. of a maniacal villain. Pete, feel bad. Yes. Uh, one thing you never talked about, which I'm, I'm curious about your relationship with professional comedy or just going to a place like Comedy Bar, because people often say that comedy is a thinking man's sport, but... It is a thinking man sport. I didn't know comedy sport. was a thinking man sport. I thought that was lacrosse. <laughs> so just do, do you seek out comedy or kind of like blood? Do you go out to comedy bars? Do you like seek out comedy? Um, I don't really seek it out, but I have come upon comedians that I like, but it's not something I know a lot about. So I'm open to suggestions if during the break people want to come up to me with things. Um, part drawn to going, like, you just like laughing at You them. like laughing. It's, it's, this person is perplexed. He's like, if you like laughing, why don't you go to comedy bars? They're all about laughing. You should do that. <laughs> I get it on the streetcar. <laughs> right, yeah, you can just um, laugh, exactly. But, no, I think, I think the problem with like me not knowing that I like a comedian ahead of time is it's always a crapshoot. Like, I've been to an amateur night at, like, Stella on Lansdowne and St. Clarence, it was like the worst experience of my life. Like we had to slow clap and then we got into like a, like a standoff with the comedian where he refused to continue until we let, like it was just bad. So, um, yeah, <laughs> busy. Okay, all right, yes, I'm up here, yes. How do you feel about laugh tracks and TV shows? How do you feel about laugh tracks and TV shows? What function do they serve? I mean, I think they're kind of like I don't I can't think of any like current shows that use laugh track no Big Bang Theory, Big Bang Theory. That's the oh does it yeah. oh yeah. yeah okay so I don't watch that show 
Um, I guess it probably pay, played... <laughs> That's a like, good this thing, is, actually. This is me just, like, speculating, but probably it paid, played a certain kind of instrumental role in teaching people what to laugh at um, at a certain point in time. And you figure now we know we don't need to be told what to laugh at anymore. Yeah, I mean, maybe that we... There is some kind of, like... Um, consensus on what's funny, or we're just given more leeway to laugh at so what that's we nice. feel. So that's nice. So laugh tracks were something that was necessary to teach us how to enjoy television, <laughs> yeah. but now that we can enjoy television unassisted, largely unnecessary. Is yeah, that, is, okay. maybe. All right, sure. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, yes, yes, you remember here. Uh, what do you want us to do with your body when you die? What do you want us to do with your body <laughs> when we die? <laughs> uh, for roll-ups, I think. I don't know. <laughs> You know that So Delicious commercial where they're like two-dimensional and then they have like a So Delicious and they, I want you to do the reverse of that. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd like to end with that image. Yeah. We'll wrap it up there, ladies and gentlemen. Aliyah Habani, ladies and gentlemen. Trampoline Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Eula Benavolsky. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not let other people know about it? If you go on iTunes and leave a review, we would really appreciate it. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Trampoline Hall is a sumo audio podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook. Sumo Audio has another great podcast. It's about chips, uh, the kind you eat, not the kind in your computer. It is called JustChips.com. You might want to check it out. I am Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.